Every one of those dots is a church, but they're just buildings. When did church become synonymous with buildings instead of people? When did church become something we go to, worship in, and then leave? Take away every church building in the world and the church will remain unchanged. Church is people. We see church every day, everywhere, and don't even know it. We see it in unexpected acts of kindness, in small moments of service and love. We see church in welcoming smiles, but also in grimaces of pain, burdens that are borne by friends. The real church is rarely flashy or eye-catching. What if we saw a church for what it is? What if we dreamt about the kind of church that we could be together? Let's talk about the church that we want to be, the church that God is calling us to be. When I look at us, I see past the buildings. I see a church. Well, good morning, church. I love dreaming about the church. Glad you guys are here. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or on the internet. We're glad you guys are along. Those of you in the chapel, the warehouse here, uh, we're glad that you're along also. I didn't know how to start the service this morning. I thought about talking about Georgia, South Carolina, but I thought, no, that's not good because uh, Georgia hearts are broken. South Carolina hearts, being a South Carolina fan, our hearts have been broken many times. Not often by Georgia or Clemson, but they have been broken at times. And uh, so I thought I'd just leave that alone. I don't want to get everybody upset. Hey, let's talk about church planting. How about that? Since we're talking about I see a church, today we're launching eight brand new churches. And let me tell you where they are. In Florida, Missouri, Michigan, Virginia, North Carolina, and Beaufort, South Carolina. So let's just give the Lord a hand for that. All right. So let me ask you this, have you ever walked into a church, to a service, maybe like today, and you sense that there is something going on that is kind of mystical? There's something beside, behind the scenes, you can't put your finger on it, but you feel something. Maybe it was during worship, uh, you began to weep a little bit, and you're just not all that weepy usually, or there's not really a reason to weep, but there, there's just something going on. Or maybe it's, it's when the preacher preaches, you know, and it's just a bunch of words until all of a sudden it's like a light comes on and, wow, that's my stuff that they're talking about there. Or uh, maybe you go for prayer and when somebody touches you, it's like electric. It's like, wow, what went on? Or maybe even like somebody uh, this past week I was speaking to said during a response time, they just kind of looked down the row and and they saw somebody, and, and it was like as if God was saying to them, you need to go say something to them. And it's like, wow, what? You know, I, he's never really sensed God in that way before. You know, it's, it's almost like God is in the house. Well, you know, churches approach the supernatural in vastly different ways. Some churches, um, well, they believe in God and believe in the Bible, but the supernatural doesn't exist that much today. So, like, that's not something we do, you know, or we experience. I heard about a guy that uh, got saved from just, uh, you know, a life of sin. And, and so he walks into this church and sits down, and, 
And the pastor starts to preach, and, and the pastor uh, talked about the fact that Jesus came and he died for our sin. This guy goes, oh, praise God. Everybody kind of looks at him like, what's going on here? And so the pastor keeps preaching, preaches through it, and he says, you know, and Jesus rose from the dead so that we can have life and we can live abundantly. He goes, oh, thank you, Jesus. It's like crickets and everybody looking at him, what's going on here? And so pretty soon the pastor comes across a passage where he says, and Jesus is coming again someday to take his church home with him. And he goes, oh, thank you, Jesus. About that time a deacon comes and sits right next to him. He says, you're going to have to stop disturbing the church like this. The guy said, I, I'm sorry, I can't help it. I just caught the Holy Spirit. And the guy said, well, you didn't catch it here. <laughs> Other churches, um, while we know that, you know, God is alive and he sometimes moves among his people, we just don't want to talk about it because we're afraid that there'll be strange fire, you know, around. Some churches, like the one that I grew up in, some of you may have, you know, grown up in a church like this, um, if something approaching weird or different didn't happen at some point during our service, we didn't really have church. You know, it's like... <laughs> it's like, you know, whoo, you know, did anything happen? Ain't nothing, you know. <laughs> and and it, that's great, but sometimes um, what we do is it, trying to reproduce what God may have done at some point, we manufacture stuff, you know, and, and so that's, that's not good either. Now, what do, what do we do at Seacoast? We're not perfect. We're not the balance of the universe. We're none of those. We're people in process. But I just want to kind of tell you where we come from um, we're in a series right now where, where we're talking about I see a church, you know, and, and what is it like? And last week it was why church? And this week, um, as we were preparing for this, I remember um, when we first started talking about our values strongly. And that's what we're doing. We're doing a series on our values and how they apply to each one of us, what, what this church individually and collectively, what we can be. And, and uh <clears throat> Uh, we're, we're talking about our values, and someone was coaching us on that, and they said, what you guys need to do is sit down and figure out what, what could you be the best in the world at? And we thought, well, we're not very good at this, we're not very good at this. No, he said, no, 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 what, what do you value? What could you be the best in the world at? And so we scripted over time a little statement that's on your outline sheet that says, Seacoast is a practical, spirit-filled, but non-spooky uh, kind of mystical experience, worship experience, on multiple locations done very inexpensively. And that, ladies and gentlemen, we are the best in the world at. If you get enough adjectives, you can be the best in the world at something too. You know, that kind of narrows down the field. And, uh, but, you know, it sounds kind of funny, but we've gone back to that over and over and over again because it really does describe who we are. Practical. We believe that the Word of God is practical to everyday life. Spirit-filled, we believe that, in fact, this, this value we're going to teach today, which is being marked by the power and the presence of Jesus, um, it, without this value, the rest of the values don't make any difference. Um, but non-spooky, we've all been a part of that. Uh, but mystical, I mean, it, it, um, you can't put God in a box. When God's in the house, anything's liable to happen. Would you agree with that? And so, uh, so, so that's kind of that's who we are and what we're about. And I want to talk just a little bit about a church being marked by the power and presence of of God. The church is people. We know that. It's not about a building, although I'm going to talk to you about the importance of a building today. It's not about a building. 
It's about people. And how can we be people who are marked by the power and presence of God? So what I want to do is I want to study a Bible figure. I I like to do Bible studies, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to study a guy in the Old Testament whose name was Jacob. We're going to study a power encounter that he he had with God. Anybody remember Jacob? Jacob uh, um, had a brother. What was his older brother's name? Esau. Uh, He was actually twins, so older brother is like by seconds. And Esau was born. His parents called him Esau because it meant hairy. He was kind of a hairy little guy. And oftentimes back in the day, they would name the children according to what kind of what they saw or what they wanted. And uh, uh, Jacob was born holding on to his brother Esau's heel. The word Jacob meant supplanter, which meant he was one who takes from another that that doesn't belong to him. And ultimately, that's what he became. He really did. Uh, Jacob becomes quite an entrepreneur. Um, He's not entirely honest. He's very aggressive in what he does. In fact, there's a story in the Old Testament where he talks his brother out of a birthright. Um, Some of you may have read that. I won't go into that whole story other than to say I think birthrights are good. Being the older brother, I believe the older brother deserves twice as much as everybody else. But Jacob talked his brother out of his birthright. If that wasn't enough, just before his daddy died, he actually, with his mother's help, steals his older brother's blessing. Now, what does that mean? Well, uh, blessings meant a whole lot more back in the day than they mean today. I think they ought to mean more today. But uh, back in the day, uh, a father would bless his children. We do blessings, uh, we do blessings here. And I, I believe in the power of a blessing. I really do. I believe that the, the, the power of life and death is in your mouth. You can curse or you can bless. I'm going to bless. That's, that's what we do. And it, <laughs> what, what's interesting is uh, I speak to a lot of pastors. This week I'm going to speak in... Uh, um, uh, Connecticut, New Hampshire, and Virginia, and then be back in time for a Need to Breathe concert on Thursday night. So that'll be fun. But anyway, the, uh, 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 a lot of times I get this question when they hear about and, and experience our response time, which you'll experience at the end of the service. They say, how in the world do you get people to stay? They said, in our church, at the end of the preaching, end of the prayer, man, people are hitting the parking lot trying to get there first. How do you get people to stay? I said, well, some people do, and you know that's kind of their choice, but most people stay, and I think it's because there is a sense of the power and presence of God in that moment, but also people want to get their blessing. They really want to get their blessing. At the end of the service, we end every service with a blessing, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, and I don't think it's just a reading of Scripture. It's a conveying of the heart of God and blessing to his people where we say, God is able to do abundantly more. And you guys are standing here like this. Okay, give it to me, give it to me. I'm doing the same thing. I need a blessing this week. Blessings are important. Blessings are important. And so he steals his brother's blessing, which ticks off his older brother. He's got his birthright and his blessing. So he's going to kill him. And so mama says, you need to get out of Dodge. And so where do I go? She said, well, you go up. We live in Beersheba. You go up to Heron. Heron is where my family is from. I know you've never met them, uh, but that, that's where you need to go. That's 500 miles away. That would be like me walking from here to Washington, D.C., okay, by myself. He walked by himself alone without his inheritance, okay? That thing that he had stolen, all the cows, all that stuff, it stayed. He, he left without it because he had to get out of town. Now, uh, not, not long after uh, he leaves, he encounters 
the presence and power of God, which is the inspiration 4,000 years later for this song. Some of you are waving your lighters. Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven. We cleansed that song before we played it. But anyway, so... So this encounter reminds, reminds us that God works through imperfect people with less than pure motives. Would you agree with that? I mean, he doesn't have pure motives. And yet God works through Guess what? You don't have pure motives either. Some of you came to church not because you love Jesus, because you want to see a woman, okay, or a guy. You might just say, hey, I mean, you might find a husband or wife here. That's great, but... It's a little impure, just a little bit. Others of you, others of you uh, come to this church and came the first time because it's a big church and you got a business and it's a way to network, baby. Uh, impure motives, but God met you here. God met you here. So, some of you came to church first time because you got in such a mess that you made a deal with God. God, if you will get me out of this, I will go to church this week. And you came. Impure motives, God met you here. God meets people people with impure motives, and he empowers them with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens uh, with, with uh, Jacob. God's presence gradually transforms him to a point that he becomes something that he could not have become on his own. And that's a sign of being marked by the power and presence of God. So let me just, uh, let me give you three things, three ideas on your journey to becoming um, marked by the power and presence of God. That's what we see in a church. That's what we see as individuals. Here's the first thing. God wants to reveal his presence to you. God desires. He wants to reveal his presence to you. He desires to bring heaven to earth. In fact, if you look at Genesis 28, we're going to read part of the story. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. Oftentimes, in order to be marked by the power and presence of of God, we've got to leave something that we're hanging on to to go somewhere where God wants us to go, okay? Sometimes we've got to, to experience God, we've got to loosen our grip on what has been our God. And that's kind of what, what he does. And he leaves. It's uncomfortable, but he leaves. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he laid down to sleep. I want you to think about that. This was his pillow. See if I can lift this. Nope, not so much. This was his pillow. This was his pillow. You got that? Okay, a rock. He got out of town so fast he couldn't get his pillow. How many of you think he probably complained about his pillow that night? Okay, he probably did. It's a rock. It's his pillow. So he stops. And when he did, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on that. I think there's something there. It's God, like, it, it, there's this separation, and God goes, no, I don't want that separation. I want my presence coming back and forth. In fact, Jesus, when he taught us to pray in the New Testament, he said, pray like this, that your kingdom would come. And that your will would be done on earth as it's done in heaven. It's kind of this back and forth thing because God wants to, God desires to reveal his presence to you. He wants to. 
See, if you're in a lonely place today, or if you're concerned about the future, or if you're tired, or if you need a fresh vision, you're exactly where Jacob was. And all you need is an encounter with the Holy Spirit, is the presence of God in your life. God desires that. And you say, well, I thought God's presence was everywhere. How many of you believe God's presence is everywhere? It is. It's not a trick question. It's called the omnipresence of God. Say that together. Omnipresence of God. God's presence is everywhere. Okay? David said it like this. He said, you know, even if I make my bed in hell, that means even if I go somewhere I should not go, God is with me. God's presence is there. God's presence is everywhere. But how many of you would agree that there is a difference between God's presence in the bar that you went to last night on Saturday night than there is as we gather together this morning or on a first Wednesday? Would you agree with that? There's a difference, and the difference is this. It's the difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. This is a theological term. We'll, we'll choke it down here a little bit with medicine, okay? Say manifest presence of God. Manifest presence of God. Omnipresence, he's everywhere. Manifest presence is a specific manifestation of God's presence. And here's what, here's what the word says about that. In um, Psalm 34, 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. If there is only the omnipresence of God, then that scripture doesn't make any sense because God is close to everybody, okay? But it says that there is a sense that the manifest presence of God is with the brokenhearted. And if you've ever been brokenhearted, you may have experienced that. I remember when we first moved to town, we had a car wreck and uh, two of our kids were injured, one of them very severely, unconscious for a while. And I can remember uh, going to the hospital to visit them and we're brand new here. We don't know anybody. And we feel like, God, where are you? But I can remember specifically also in my car some places, and even when I drive by them today, downtown Charleston, I just go back to where I was experiencing the manifest presence of God. And I can remember God being close to me in my broken heart. And I can remember saying to my wife, this, you know, this, this is incredible. I, I don't want to be here. I don't want this anymore, but the presence of God is incredible. Now, there's another verse in uh, James chapter 4 and verse 8 that says this. It says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Well, if God is everywhere, which he is, then, then this must mean that if you pursue God, if you come near to God, you will experience the presence of God in a way other than just the omnipresence of God. It's his manifest presence to you. And it says the way you do it is wash your hands and purify your hearts. Just the opposite of that is Isaiah 59 and verse 2. It says, but your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So if you think, okay, I... I've, I've come to Jesus and I've confessed my sin. He loves me, but I'm just going to go ahead and do whatever I want to. Or there, here's an area I don't really want to kind of submit my life to his presence. might be my sex life, my relationship, my money, whatever it happens to be. And I'm kind of going to do my own thing. 
Well, here's what's going to happen. You're not going to experience the manifest presence of God. Will God be in your life? Yes. Will God be around you? Yes. But, but you will not be marked by the power and the presence of God. Because it says you've got to confess your sin. You confess your sin. Um, and, and God will forgive you. So here's the deal. God wants to reveal his manifest presence to you. That's the point I wanted to make. Let me give you another one. It is possible to be in God's presence and miss it entirely. Possible to be in God's presence and miss it entirely. You can be in a place and totally miss the point of being there. Would you agree with that? How many of you have ever gone to a movie and you didn't get it and everybody else did? (laughs) Chick flick. You go to a chick flick. Everybody's crying around you. And you didn't get a bit of it. You don't feel anything. Guys, let me give you some help here. Act like you do. This is a time to fake it till you make it, okay? You just go, man, that was touching. But you didn't get it, you know? On the other side, you know, I have a lot of friends that are Star Wars fans. I've been to two Star Wars movies, slept through both of them. Don't get it. I know what that labels me as. Don't judge. It's okay. It's okay. Debbie says, this is no big deal. You sleep through everything. You sit down. You get comfortable. They turn the lights down. You go to sleep. That's what you think life is about. But, you know, you hear others talking about it. You're clueless. You feel on the outside. Sometimes that can be happen to you at church or with a group of friends in a small group. You can be in a place where God is manifesting his presence. You can totally miss it. Everybody around you feels it, gets it, and you don't. You got nothing. Almost happened to Jacob. Next verse. There above it stood the Lord. What, above what? Above the ladder. The, the angels are going up and down stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Now, he's not really excited about the land that he's lying on because there's a hard rock here. And it's in a Canaanite city. It's a dangerous place to be. He's just passing through. And God says to him, hey, I'm God, listen up. I'm gonna give you and your descendants. He's not married. He doesn't have any kids. There's no prospects on the way. And he says, I'm going to give you the land on which you are lying right now. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will be spread out to the west, the east, north, south. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. You're not going forever. He's worried about his future. God says, here's your future. You're coming back here and I'm giving it to you. Okay? I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, listen to this, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't aware of it. In other words, I came, needed a place to sleep, laid down, hit my head on a rock, complained about the rock, had no idea that God was in this place, that this was the house of the Lord. It is possible for you to be in the manifest presence of God, and miss it entirely. So what keeps us from from encountering the power and presence of God? Sin, we talked about that. Unbelief, maybe you just don't. There's no place in your belief system for the supernatural. Guess what? You're going to miss what God has for you. Or maybe it's indifference. Or maybe it's fear. We're afraid we might catch something around us. There's somebody weird in the row next to us. I don't know what she's got, you know, and you're just afraid so you don't do anything, you know. Or 
we're afraid we'll be overcome by something we can't explain. Or it could be preoccupation or even a lack of engagement. How many of you know you can be in a room with somebody and not engage with them? Yeah. You know, you've, you've been in a party and you're in there and they don't engage with you, you don't engage with them. It's not enough to be in the room. You've got to engage. Engage. So how can I put my place, myself in a place to experience God's power and presence? Confess your sin to God. That's why we have confession time every week in our church. People ask me, why do you do that every week? Because we got a bunch of people that need to confess. And that's just the type group we're with, you know. That's just the staff. That's just the staff. So we need that. Confess your sin to God. Approach his presence with a sense of expectation. Let me ask you this. How would you walk into this room today? I see a church that has such a sense of anticipation about meeting with God, that there's expectation. Usually you get about what you expect, okay? Expectation. And then, and then ask God to open your eyes to his presence. There are times that we just can't see. I love the story in the Old Testament with uh, this man of God named Elisha. And he's got his, uh, his personal assistant with him. And, and uh, Elisha's tired. He goes to sleep. Personal assistant's out in the other room, and he, uh, he looks outside. And they're being hunted, but they think they're safe. He looks outside, and there's army, just as far as you can see, just all around him. He goes, oh, my goodness, we're in deep weeds here. And so he goes back in, and he wakes up Elisha. He says, Elisha, you know, we, there's an army all the way around us. And Elisha says to him in uh, 2 Kings 6, verse 16, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with him. I imagine his assistant goes, one, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, <laughs> you're crazy, man. Then Elisha says this, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around. You might think you're alone, but you're not. You're never alone. You're never alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God says, I will always be with you. There are ministering angels everywhere. If we could open our eyes, we could see the supernatural. And sometimes we just need to see the presence of God then don't be afraid to engage the supernatural. God wants to reveal his presence to you. It's possible to be in God's presence and not be aware of it. Let me give you a third idea. An encounter with God can change everything. An encounter with God can change everything. Look how it changes Jacob. It says, early the next morning, verse 18, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on it, and he called that place... Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz or light. Bethel means the house of God, and Luz means light. It changed the place where he was at, where he was in. He has this little ceremony. He takes this rock that he'd been complaining about, grumbling about. This is a hard place to put your head. He's, God's here. And so he has a little ceremony, pours oil on it, and then renames the whole place, sets it up as a pillar. Now, it's not a pillow. It's a pillar now. Although I'm from Oklahoma, my grandma called it a pillar, okay? So it doesn't make any difference. And so, and so he sets it up as a pillar. <laughs> that was funny. I <laughs> just thought of that. I'll use it in the next service too. Uh, but, uh, and he uses it to memorialize God's presence. Here's the point. What are you complaining about right now? What's the hard pillow in your life? Is it a relationship? Is it finances? Is it your ex? What is it? 
What is it? Maybe rather than complaining, maybe if we open our eyes to God's presence, he'll use it as a place of memorial. Maybe he'll use it as a pillar to build the next step in our life in if we let him have it. Does that make sense? And so he anoints it with oil and he prays over it and it becomes a place of worship. Now, why did he change the name of the place and build a monument? I believe this. God promises him that he would pass this way again, only next time he would own it. Okay, that's, that's a big deal. Because he's passing this way. He owns nothing. The circumstances own him. He's got no money. He's lost it all because of his cheating ways. And God says, no, I've got a plan for you. Doesn't matter what you've done, I'm going to turn it around for your good. And the next time you pass this way, rather than it owning you, you are going to own it. Oftentimes, God uses power encounters to build our faith so that the next time we're in the same circumstances, we can own it rather than it owning you. You are just a power encounter away from being in a place where you can own the circumstances the next time through. What if God's presence could do that? What if it could turn that place into a place of worship, okay? Now, there's going to be challenges in the future for Jacob. He's going to, th- this place is going to be a place where he comes back next time, and he's got to face his brother and all that kind of thing, but, but he, he has, a, he has a, a pillar set up as a reminder to what God did to him that time. Maybe you need to build a monument. Maybe you need to take a bill that God meets, and rather than throw it away, you frame it and go, this is a monument to the place where God helped me. I've got a miracle file for me that's, that when I'm discouraged, I'll pull it out and go, here was the time that God came through. Here was the time that God did this. It's, it's memorials. It's reminders. Maybe you need to change the name of something uh, that you're calling something else uh, right, right now. There seem to be places where God manifests his presence more often uh, than not. And we need to declare them holy. We need to be aware of them. They're Bethel. They're the place where God meets us. I've got one of those places in my house. I've got a chair. It's just a nondescript chair, a little chair. Bought it from somebody that uh, has a business here in the church a while back. That chair is holy. That's a holy place. It's a place where in the morning I meet God. In fact, to me, as I move toward that chair, it's like I move toward that chair with expectation because I know that as I pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. He will meet me in that chair. It's different every time, but he meets me there. This building is that. That's why buildings are important. I mean, we, we you guys know, we'll tear down a building to build something else if we need to or whatever. We don't really care that much about buildings. This is not, in case you looked around, it's not the most beautiful place in the world, but it's full of God's people. But you know what? This building is where God meets us when we come together. His presence is here. In fact, here's what we're going to do. As we were looking at this series, we have First Wednesday. Why do we have First Wednesday? Years ago, we decided, hey, let's declare a time about 25 years ago, let's declare a time where we'll worship the first Wednesday of every month uh, together, and that's basically what we're going to do. We said, you know, what if we, and we don't know that we'll do this forever, but we said, what if we declared Saturday, the first Saturday, first Saturday, and from 9 to 10, we just came into this place and just worship together because we know this is where God meets us, and we're going to prepare for the weekend and worship. So you can join us and do that if you'd like to. There may be three of us or 50 of us or 500 of us. It doesn't matter. Did you know that before you came in today that people prayed over these seats? 
because we expect the presence of God. In this, they actually anointed him with oil. Some of you said, that's where that stain came from. I didn't know. Well, no, it's real small. It doesn't leave a stain. But we, the, why? Be, because God meets us. His manifest presence. Yes, you bring the presence of God with you when you come in, but there is a sense of God's manifest presence when we meet together. Okay. So it changed the place. It changed his perspective. Uh, in the moment before his power encounter, he was lonely, uncertain about his future. He was paying consequences of poor choices and decisions. He encounters the presence and power of God, and it changes him. He knows he's not alone. God assures him of his plan to bless him, and God will redeem even his poor choices. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you feel alone today. Some of you aren't sure about your future. Some of you are paying consequences for poor, poor choices. Can I tell you this? A moment in God's presence. Doesn't mean that you, know, you won't have to pay the bill. No, not at all. But God will pay it with you. God will go through it with you. God will be there with you. He can redeem even the dark places of our lives. It changed the place. It also changed, um, changed the perspective. It also changed him um, in the next verse, uh, verse 20. It says, then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and, I will watch, and will watch over me on this journey that I'm taking, I will get, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I've set up will be a pillar. It will be God's house. And all that you give me, of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Here's what happened. It changed him. He became generous. This is Jacob the supplanter, Jacob the taker, who now becomes Jacob the giver. In fact, God later changed his name because his birth name didn't fit his new character. He changed it to Israel, which meant one who perseveres with God. And people who truly encounter God's presence are marked by generosity. They just are. God's generous. We become generous. So let me ask you, are you marked by the presence and power of God. Is your life marked by generosity? Could people look at your bank account and go, that's a generous person. It's not all about them. They're generous. They're like God. Does, uh, is your giving an act of worship or is it just something oh, I gotta do so I do it? No. God wants to reveal himself to you. You can miss a power encounter with God, but if you do it, if you encounter him, it changes everything. I, I, I preached all of that to give you this two-minute video. I want you to see somebody in our church that had empower encounter with God somewhere about right there in that section, and I want you to hear her story. Children, it's easier for me to imagine traveling around the world again than to have what comes so naturally to most people, offspring, a branch in the family tree. One Sunday at church, while my husband was away, flying somewhere safe like Iraq, I received a phone call from the clinic. I went out into the corridor, plugging my free ear to block out the deep bass of the worship music. The nurse's tone was soft and apologetic, but it couldn't change the words she had to say to me. Our plan needed to be scrapped. I needed another surgery first. Stop the meds. I returned to my seat in the worship center, an invisible film seeming to come down out of nowhere separating me from everyone else, my own private dome of numbness in the middle of a crowd. I looked around. Why had I come? Since the doctor told me it was unlikely I could have children, I had not prayed once. 
As I listened to the pastor, I shifted in my seat, trying to ignore the cramps fisting in my gut from the medications, bloated pain that was now for nothing. Sometimes, no, I'd say most of the time, we don't understand why bad things happen. There's no promise you won't go through hard times, but there's definitely one that you'll never go through them alone. The pastor stood from the bistro table and clasped his hands loosely together. I know we don't usually do this, and I didn't plan on it, but I would like anyone who feels weighed down right now by a specific hurt, whether physical, emotional, whatever it is, to please stand and let us pray for you. Let God help you through this rough time and give you strength. I immediately wanted to sit back down. I felt exposed, admitting something was wrong, that I didn't know how to get rid of this hollow ache. Forcing myself to remain on my feet, I closed my eyes, willing that prayer to be over quickly. My head jerked up when a hand came to rest on my shoulder. A girl I'd never seen before stood before me. Her head already bowed and eyes shut tight. Lord God, the pastor said, I pray you be with us in our troubles and our pain. Help us to know we aren't alone. A small sob escaped my lips and I clamped my jaw, tightening my stomach using every ounce of willpower I possessed. Why, dear God, had I stood up for total humiliation in front of strangers? The girl had to feel my body jerking with my effort to hold it in. The prayer finally, mercifully came to an end. I shot a sideways look at the girl, and in her dark eyes were shining tears, a compassion so startling in its depth, I could only stare back in muddled disbelief. Jesus wept. It was as if I could see him looking through the eyes of this stranger so clearly. I never saw her again, but I'll never forget the depth of that look. I endured the surgery, I endured a miscarriage, and several other attempts to have a child, but I never went through any of it alone. He cares. I know because I've seen it in his eyes. Wow. A power encounter. She experienced the manifest presence of God, ushered in by someone else who probably had no idea that she was going to be used that morning. So is your life marked by the power and presence of God? When's the last time you've really experienced and encountered his presence? Here's what I know. If you'll confess your sin, if you'll come expecting and then engage, um, the next few minutes could be the most powerful time of your week, if not your life. What if we all did that every time we came into this place? See, this is our first value. Our first value as a church, and that's what we're talking about, is to, uh, we see a church marked by the power and presence of God. I'll be honest with you, if we don't have this value, the rest of them are worthless. We've got to be a people who experience God, who know God, who pursue God. And if we do, he says, he will reveal himself to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your love to us. I thank you for your power and your presence. And I ask in the next few moments that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this room and in the rooms that are listening. God, I pray that our eyes would be opened to see you, to experience you, to know you. It may be big, it may be small. It's all you. And so God, we give these moments to you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Amen.